Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Liberty Station. And Friday, Bryce, means that it's Federer Friday. That's right. Um, and we're doing our best to make it consistent. The most underutilized asset in America, along with, I would say, Bob McEwen, uh, is Bill Federer. Um, and Bill Federer is a, a, just a profound historian, a prolific writer. Um, it speaks all over the country. And everything... From from a historical perspective, and then bringing it to what we're dealing with, and showing that this isn't that this isn't the first time it's happened, and putting everything into perspective, and he's going to do that for us tonight. Uh, we were talking earlier, and he was talking about this idea of setting up these distractions. Uh, yeah, we have a few of those going on. Yeah, we do. So, uh, without any further ado, with Federer Friday, welcome our guest and my dear brother and friend, Bill Federer. Hey, Bill. Hey Rob Bryce, great to be with you. Listen, uh, you were talking earlier, and you're talking about distractions, and and we're you know, we're watching, uh, you know, the economy. Inflation is going through the roof. Gas prices are soaring. Uh, we're going to probably have food lines shortly. Uh, the just misery index is high, and now we've got this mess in the Ukraine. Um, we're being told it's going to be World War Three. And we, we, yeah, all, all kinds of stuff. What, what is that all about historically? Can you give reference to that or perspective to that or even illustrations from history as to what we're up against? Yeah, the uh, first thing that causes me to be suspect of the narrative is the same mainstream media that was censoring uh, the questioning of the uh election fraud that would censor that, that would censor any alternative narrative to what happened on January 6th. The same media that censored any talks of alternative treatments to pandemics, um, the same media is immediately on board with the narrative of what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, So that is something that causes me to dig a little deeper. And when I, just from reading a lot of history, you see that there's a pattern of one side creating a crisis they could blame on the other side as an excuse to invade. Um, It's called uh, psychological projection, but it's done on a macro level with nations invading other nations. Uh, There was an incident um, in uh, Turkey. So, uh, in 1955, uh, there was still a remnant of uh, Greek Christians in Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople. And there was a new uh, leader there named uh, Menderes, and he was a fundamentalist Muslim. He was sort of like uh, Erdogan. Um, For those not familiar, the Ottoman Turkish Empire had ruled from about 1071 AD all the way up to uh, the end of World War One, and uh, am I still with you? I yeah, yeah, yeah you're doing yeah. great. Uh, um, and so then, Ataturk was a secular leader in Turkey, and he outlawed the fences and the burkas. He outlawed the prayers from the uh, towers of the mosques. Uh, Ataturk. Um, moved the weekend from Friday to Saturday and Sunday to fit in with Western Europe. He uh, had men shave. Uh, He outlawed burqas. Uh, He said Mohammedism is nothing more than Arab politics. 
And he says only a weak leader needs religion to uphold his, um, you know, uh, administration and position. Uh, so, so that was Ataturk. Well, after him, you came this Menderes who wanted to make it fundamentalist again. And there was this remnant of Greek Christians in Istanbul. And so they had a plan. The plan was that they would blow up the home of Ataturk, which was actually in Greece. And they would blame it on the Greeks and then use that as an excuse to stir up the people of Istanbul to attack this remaining Greek neighborhood and to drive the Greeks out. Well, the, the home never blew up, but the newspapers ran with the story anyway. And they stirred up this large mob of people and the, the government trucks blocked off the streets so the people couldn't leave. And they went in there and they destroyed thousands of homes, thousands of businesses, hundreds of churches. And uh, it's the uh, writer, Ian Fleming, who we know James from Bond. writing the James Bond series. Yeah. He Bond. had been a uh, reporter for the London Sunday Times in Istanbul. And he said, hatred flowed in the streets like lava. Wow. And of course, the dust settles. They find out Ataturk's home was never blown up, but nevertheless, the damage was done. Uh, and they more or less pushed the Greek uh, inhabitants out of the country. Uh, so this is uh, the strategy. You, you do a crisis and you blame it on an innocent party. The same thing happened with Japan uh, in the 1930s. They had taken over a, a piece of China on the coast, and they claimed that a railroad had blown up. And they used that as an excuse to invade and kill over 100,000 in Nanking, China. Uh, later, an investigation was done, and they couldn't find where the railroad was blown up. <laughs> so they... Um, you sometimes these are called false flags. Uh, that term, by the way, comes from the pirates, where they would uh, have a flag of a friendly nation, and so another boat would get close. And then when they were too close, they'd take that flag down and put up their pirate flag, and they'd capture the the unsuspecting uh, close ship. Uh, but this this concept uh, has been used over and over again in history. And um, the more recent times, um, even how we entered uh, the Vietnam War, it's called the Gulf of Tonkin. And there was an American boat in the harbor and supposedly a couple missiles were shot from land at the boat that never hit the boat, but that was it. That was the incident in the Gulf of Tonkin that was used as the reasoning for us to, to go into Vietnam. Now, the communists were taking over and we did want to kick the communists out, but uh, nevertheless, it was one of these questionable incidents that historians look back at. Um, there were uh, similar things, Greeks and Romans, but, uh, but even in the more recent history, you have, uh, remember the, the gassing of the people in Syria. And it, they, they tried to blame it on the leader in Syria. And after a long time, they really couldn't make that accusation stick. And then some of the uh, individuals in intelligence that I had talked with said that there were some of the fundamentalist Arab countries around there that were behind it and they wanted to spark an incident that would be an excuse for America to, America to enter the war against Syria because they wanted to build a pipeline through there or whatever. 
And uh, but just a couple, you know, a short time before that, quote unquote, gassing, uh, the leader of Syria had given all kinds of money to that Christian community and saw and protected the Christian community from ISIS and and saw himself as responsible. And um, he was uh, one of these secular Muslims. He wasn't even a uh, what would be considered a practicing Muslim, uh, right. the, the leader in Syria at that time. And um, remember Slobodan Milosevic? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so, so Bill Clinton is president. And uh, one of the things that goes all the way back to uh, Plato in Greece is that when a, a leader begins to become unpopular, and, and the leader is dropping in public opinion polls, the next thing that leader does is let a war start intentionally so that the intention is taken off of him, put on the war. Uh, the classic is Pericles, and he was, there's 6,000 citizens of Athens and they didn't have a king, but Pericles was becoming pretty popular. Uh, he was the one who built the, uh, the Parthenon, uh, the big temple on top of the hill, whenever you see pictures of Athens. And, and he is borrowing money from the treasury for all these building projects. And the rumor began to go around that he was getting, uh, wanting to make himself king. And so they were planning to do a vote on whether or not to ostracize him, which had been done to a couple previous leaders there in Athens. And they would take a piece of pottery and they would put uh, a yes or a no uh, on the scratch it on this broken piece of pottery, and they'd collect them all. And if you had a, if there were enough votes, he would be kicked out of town for ten years. That's called ostracizing. And so they were talking about this. Well, the history shows that Pericles intentionally let relations with Sparta deteriorate, so that it would break into a war. And when the war broke out, everybody wanted a strong leader, and so they they threw away all the the uh, talk of getting rid of him and they all backed him. And uh, and now, unfortunately, um, the Spartans won that war and, uh, and Pericles and his sons died. But, um, but this idea was a good plan, uh, but it didn't work, (laughs) but it's sort of standard operating procedure that when uh, somebody that's in power is becoming unpopular, that they will, uh, want to encourage uh, a foreign war uh, because it draws attention away from them. And, and and if anyone that's familiar with the media nowadays, it, it lives off the news cycle um, yeah. that people have a very, very short memory. They only remember what happened a week or two ago. Uh, a year ago, uh, the, they don't remember that. It's just the, the current news cycle. And so, so the Slobodan Milosevic, you do the history uh, that Serbia had been Christian, and they've been fighting the fundamentalist Muslims for like a millennium. <laughs> and several times the Muslims came in there and so forth and killed and butchered. And so uh, it was international pressure that allowed the, uh, the, these Muslim immigrants to come into Serbia, and they gravitated into the poor neighborhoods in a, in a city called Kosovo, and then they grew more and more, and the, the na- inhabitants of the neighborhoods moved out, and they took over more and more, until finally they declared themselves an independent country, and Bill Clinton recognized them as an independent country. And then we began to have the, the war. They built a statue to Bill Clinton in uh, the Muslim city there, the capital of Kosovo, um, after the war. But, but here, it's called Operation Deliberate Force, and Bill Clinton was funneling arms through 
Iran to the Bosnian Muslims to fight the Serbian Christians. And um, and then we we see this pattern. Uh, these are uh, interesting CIA operations um, that most people, you know, aren't familiar with. Uh, but, but Bill, let me <clears throat> let me let me interject real quick, just so the folks who were tuning in maybe got here a little bit late. You're going through um, historical, historically significant moments where. Uh, uh, leaders who are in power, whose power is being threatened, deliberately start a war uh, in order to protect. Yeah, any kind of epic distraction. Yeah, really. dis to create a distraction to, to save their 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 power base. And you've gone through everything from the Gulf of Tonkin to you know Serbia, Kosovo. Uh, you, you've covered a ton of history. Well, and where I think he's going next. I want to hear this. Uh, yes. Yeah, some of the CIA things that they've done that we know are, are legitimate and have been released. And in our previous times together, you have pointed out that the CIA operated these things, um, to, to bring down communist nations, but they're using the, the same operations to turn on the cunt on, on its own, on our own people. Um, the same type of manipulated aspects, but how does that how does that apply to the geopolitical when we're looking at the you know Ukraine Russia uh, America considering sending in troops like all those things where's the CIA fit in this you were going to share uh, I just I want to bring everyone up to speed. Yeah, now uh, some of the people that I've talked to said that um, you know Ukraine became an independent country after the Berlin Wall came down. And they elected leaders, and they were wanting to have a democratic form of government. But then we began to see that uh, Democrat politicians in America were funneling money to the wrong groups, to neo-Nazi groups. Uh, remember, uh, Obama wanted to um, send lots of money to Kenya to help with their elections. Well, the money went, went to get Muslims elected. Um, and uh, so, so whenever they're going to help, uh, and uh, so... Uh, so it was Biden, remember, that, that they were going after his son in Ukraine, and he held back billions of dollars in U.S. aid and bra bragged about it until they stopped the investigation of his son. And so uh, we begin to see some shady things happening uh, that when you just get the mainstream news, you don't see. For example, guess what is the poorest country in Europe? It's Ukraine. Guess what the number guess one Moldova, but. guess what the number one country that gave money to the Clinton Foundation was? Ukraine. It's like, wow. really? Here they are so poor, they're giving ten million dollars to Hillary Clinton's fund. And it happened during Hillary Clinton's term as Secretary of State. So here she's Secretary of State helping to funnel money to Ukraine that gets turned around and put back into her Clinton Foundation. And we began to see this over and over again, so much so. The American Thinker did an article on it. It's called International Money Laundering, that whenever you see the U.S. government giving billions of dollars to countries for climate change and all these other kind of things, it usually goes to the corrupt leader in the country who gets to keep a sliver of it, and then he funnels the rest of it back to the corrupt politicians in America wow. and to their foundation. When the earthquake happened in Haiti and the people were uh, in terrible situation and Lots of money was given to the Clinton Foundation to help the people in Haiti. 
Well, very little of it went to the people. It actually went to, to the Clinton Foundation. They got funneled into their campaign. And of course, as soon as she lost, all those donations stopped. It's like, did she stop all this humanitarian work? And so, so bringing it up to present, um, when you see some of these situations uh, that's happening in Ukraine, um, no doubt that Putin is a bad character. I've talked to missionaries that said uh, he'll allow the Orthodox Church to do stuff, but he'll uh, crack down on, you know, different Baptists and independent Christian churches. And so he's not a, a friend of that at all. Yeah. But um, but I'm questioning the the narrative of what's happening there. And I'm, I'm getting the feeling that maybe some of these forces are that want to have a the U.S. get into a conflict are uh, giving us the uh, the story that they want us to respond to. And uh, I just think that deserves a little bigger digging into. I mean, we, we just got the news uh, not too long ago that um, I think Newsmax TV, even last night, had a special documentary on Obama running the White House um, that you had the Obama-Biden administration had in the administration Susan Rice and needed on Valerie Jarrett. And then after Obama is not in office, he has a large uh, location there in D.C., uh, to carry on his work, and who works for him? Uh, Anita Dunn, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett. And then when Biden gets elected, who goes to work over there? Uh, Anita Dunn, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett. Um, and so what the uh, evidence seems to be is that uh, individuals like George Soros and so forth uh, call Obama, and he calls Valerie Jarrett, Susan Rice, Anita Dunn, and, and of course they're not all in, in there in those exact positions, but. Um, but they basically are deciding what's happening in America and in our foreign policy. They're basically switching us back to the Obama era, undoing everything Trump did. And, and Biden's more or less the puppet, uh, yeah. reading teleprompters and, you know, oh, the best you can. Of, yeah. Yeah. There's videos of him, you know, doing something with, and he's like, well, well, Nancy, should I say, anything, say, say anything else? And then Nancy Pelosi, uh, on the private life says, we do, we don't want him to say anything else. And, um, this is the president, the leader. He, he's, He's just being put up there, but they're doing their agenda. Um, you know, I could talk about Afghanistan. There's no way that was an accident. There's no way that you could give away $85 billion worth of the most sophisticated weapons on accident and without even trying to blow them up. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a deliberate switch back to the Obama era foreign policy of arming Islamists and isolating Israel and abandoning the Christians in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah that, when you give all that weaponry away, that means the big war industrial complex gets to sell more stuff. Yeah, they get to sell more. Yeah. Bill, would you... Um, I want to take us to a time in history, and this is critical right now, and I love the way you articulate this. I've been speaking, and and it's still coming up, and I'm getting this... In churches that I'll I'll speak at it, it's a it'll be a question from one of the folks that attend another church and they've heard this same verse, Romans thirteen that we're to submit to all positions of authority uh, that they're given by God, and uh, you know we we know about Jonathan Mayhew, we know about you know what what 
what John Adams said about him, that he was instrumental in the War of Independence when he coined the phrase, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. But will you not only share maybe about him and the Muhlenberg brothers so that folks can get a, a grasp of the importance of the church uh, and, and, and why with that First Amendment uh, that, that there, this freedom of religion is so essential and why we must contend for it right now. I know it's a big switch from what we were talking about, but as we're branching out with Turning Point Faith and we're seeing churches come alongside, this is one of the questions of the pastors uh, that, you know, aren't we supposed to submit to all authority? And it's not unlimited submission to tyranny. I mean, I, I was told it's the it was the number one quoted verse in Nazi Germany to silence the churches. Can you give us a historical perspective on this so that we can grasp, even from the founding, how critical this freedom of religion is to the republic? Uh, sure. Uh, I do want to throw in the Lusitania. Um, and so that's the what got us into World War I. Um, Europe was crying out for help. And uh, Woodrow Wilson had promised in all of his election campaigns that he would keep us out of a foreign war. And then uh, the Germans announced that the uh, waters off the coast of England would be war zones and they would would have U-boats there and they would shoot at ships. And so uh, the Lusitania uh, was heading in that direction. And before it set sail, the Germans even took out uh, ads in newspapers saying, uh, don't get on the Lusitania, this and that. And, and uh, you know, uh, on uh, May 15th, um, you know, the, the torpedo was shot and, uh, and sank it. So uh, anyway, uh, of 1917. So who, who, me, that, who, was, that was who, April. So who are, you, who are you saying sank the Lusitania? Uh, it was our country deliberately sending a boat into... Uh, an area where the Germans ahead of time said that they would shoot boats. Right. And it was right after the sinking of the Lusitania that uh, the public sentiment was, whereas before was we don't want to get into a war, now it was we want to get into a war. So it was a big incident that changed public opinion from a lot like remember a lot like remember the Maine uh, that got us into Mexico and. Yeah, 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 and the questionable origins of that. So yeah, the explosion so, on board it. So there needs to be something that is so <clears throat> terribly shocking that it changes public sentiment that will be uh, will, will allow a country to get into a war. I'm just sharing those stories just because I I'm a skeptic. I, I ran for Congress three times. I saw the other side. Um, you know, there's a quote from Lord Acton, who was a British parliamentarian, and he said, official truth is not actual truth. And, um, you know, there's lots of stories of people that, you know, had loved ones in the military and and they were questioning, you know, the, the official report of how they died and and so forth. But um, so, so, Leaving that topic a little hanging in the air. Uh, well, you you uh, can I, I know I know I know the way you're I, I I traveled from Thousand Oaks, California to Sacramento with you. I think it was that distance, and and everything with you is connected. And and it you you have to finish a thought or or your your, your mind gets rattled. Bill, I'm not interrupting you. You finish that thought, and then we can go to what I ask. Go ahead and finish it. I know how you operate, and it, it blesses me because that's how we retain so many facts. 
Well, what what I find amazing about that is everything is connected. It is. Too. It is. And but that's, that's what's that, cool about it. That's his. It's like he's a running yeah. history, and I love it. Bill, don't let me interrupt it. If you want to finish it, finish it. It's okay. Uh, well, well, there were. Um, okay, here's here's a couple more of them. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I told you, he's he's the best. He's the best guest to have because you just put him on autopilot. Yeah, I'm gonna sit back. Go for it, man. <laughs> so, 1788, the king of Sweden and Sweden back then was a very large empire. Uh, he wanted to get into a war with Russia, and his parliament would not approve the funding. And so, the king of Sweden had the. Um, uh, tailor of the National Opera sew Russian uniforms and had some Swedish soldiers put on the Russian uniforms and attack a Swedish outpost. And the news picked it up and ran with it that the Russians had attacked. He runs into the parliament, says, see, I told you, and the parliament immediately approves the funding for the war with Russia. And then, of course, it came out that what I, what I just shared with you. So that's one of them. Uh, you mentioned the USS Maine. It blew up under suspicious conditions. It was the 1931 railroad explosion in China uh, near a town called Mukden uh, that provided the pretense for Japan to invade and kill 100,000 in Nanking, China. Uh, the burning of the Reichstag, which yeah, evidence yeah. points to Hitler's own people, and he blames it on his opponents. Yeah. Um, Stalin assassinating his friend Sergei Kirov, blaming it on the anti-Stalinists. The other is Franco, 1937, the Spanish Civil War. And so this is beginning of World War II. Uh, but the history books show that Franco allowed Nazi planes to bomb rebellious Spanish towns so that he could seize power and be a dictator. So uh, then a similar thing happened in 1939. It's called Operation Himmler, uh, or uh, Himmler's Operation um, Gleiwitz. And um, anyway, so you had Nazi, the Nazis wanted to invade Poland, but public opinion worldwide would not allow it. And so the Nazis had Nazi soldiers dress up in Polish soldiers' uniforms and then attack German towns. So it looked like Polish soldiers were attacking German towns. But it was Nazis dressed up as Polish, but the news media ran with it, and this provided the excuse for the Nazis to invade Poland. And um, that was uh, Operation Himmler-Gleiwitz uh, incident. Uh, another is the um, 1939. Uh, the Soviets wanted to invade Finland. And so the Soviet army shelled a Russian village near the Finnish border and claimed that the Finns had bombed the Russian village. And that provided an excuse for the Soviets to invade Finland in the Winter War. Um, and then, uh, anyway, um, I could go on with other different operations, uh, KGB and the Mustafa, the uh, the, the one in, in Turkey, the Gulf of Tonkin, and so forth. Um, but, so I just bring all that up to say that uh, the situation is the, the Russians pulling out of towns and then uh, it being sort of a confused state, and then when the news media comes in, there's the dead bodies. It's horrible, horrible, horrible what's taking place. And I think that we need to dig and see who's responsible for the horrible things that are taking place. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll leave that there for now. Um, but I do want to address the Romans 13 thing. 
If somebody thinks that you should obey all the laws of the land, they need to move to Rome. <laughs> they need to move to China. They need to move to Russia. They need to move to Iran. They need to move to a place where there's not a republic. Uh, Paul wrote that when he was under the Roman Empire. At that time, since 527 BC, uh, the Roman Empire was growing and uh, all the world was kings. There were no republics and democracies. Um, it was all kingdoms of different sorts. And so uh, other than ancient Israel, which was around 1400 BC to 1000 BC, uh, the world was kings. And so the Apostle Paul, the context he's writing it is you submit to the, the government and pray that God will, will move and, you know, have his will take place even through an ungodly government. In America, our founders flipped it and made the people the king. So the politicians in America are the servants. You hire them, you fire them. Uh, it would be silly for a king to submit to his servant. I mean, imagine a king going through the castle and the janitor tells him, I'm sorry, king, you can't go in this part of the castle anymore. And the king's like, who are you to tell me? Oh, I'm the janitor. Where'd you come from? Oh, the butler and the cook hired me. It's like, well, they're my servants. And, and so who's the Supreme Court justice? Uh, well, they're appointed by the president. I vote in the president. Well, they're confirmed by the Senate. Well, I vote in the Senate. So you're like a servant of a servant. And yes, yeah, yeah, but still, we're going to change the definition of marriage from now on. We're going to change the definition when life begins from now on. Still, you, you can't go in this part of the castle anymore. It's like, and, but this is serious because when, uh, when there was this, uh, David took a census and people are dying, David's like, you know, I'm the one that sinned. You should be judging me, not these innocent people, right? But God holds the, the king accountable. And so in America, you can't, brush it off and say the bad things are happening because the servants are doing bad things. It's like, no, you're the king. In the word citizen is Greek. It means co-king. A republic is where the people are king ruling through representatives. Right. Uh, a democratic form of government is where you elect your representatives. And so in America, for the people to say, well, bad things are happening, um, but those are just the politicians that are doing it. It's like, yeah, they're your servants and you're the one in charge of them. And God is going to hold you accountable the same way he held David accountable, right? You, you read through, you know, the Old Testament, God would judge a whole kingdom because of a sin of the king. And so in America, the people are the king. So the very people that want to say don't get involved are bringing judgment on us. The, yeah. we're, we're getting judged. Jesus, so you're driving by a school and you ask somebody, you know, they're teaching that boys can go in girls' bathrooms and that boys can compete in girls' sports, uh, that you can have drag queen story hour, that you can have little, I was, in a, I was in Illinois this past week. A teacher got in trouble because he didn't want to play along with some kids identifying as furries and licking their hands yeah. and wanting litter boxes. They're having a special school board meeting on whether or not they should supply litter boxes for these two girls that are now identifying as furries. No. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> craziness. And then a girl comes up to another teacher and says, I want to be referred to as they, them. And the teacher's like, uh, those are plural words. You're a single person. And, so, and then they come back the next day. I feel like you're, you're being hateful toward me. I feel you're, it's like, it's craziness 
that the inmates is, are running well, the asylum. Well, look, it's on when you open all this stuff yeah, up, and that's what happened. That's endless. why it never consistently can be open can Pandora's be done. They, they, yeah, and you're, you're not going to let the you know the gremlins not going to be put back in. Yeah, and so so you you talk to this pastor or these church members, and you say, "Are you in favor of that?" Um, and you know, Jesus said, "In the be- in the beginning, God made a male and female." And so you're Christian, you're following Jesus, yet they're teaching all this other stuff in the schools. Are you in favor of that? Well, well, no. Well, do you know that that school board member got elected by fewer people than are in your church? And Jesus says, if you do nothing while these little kids, uh, you know, it says, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble better than a millstone, we put around your neck. So while you're driving by that school where they're teaching this stuff, and you're thinking that you're super spiritual because you're not getting involved. Jesus is saying that he's going to put a millstone around your neck and throw you in the depths of the sea because you are in have charge. Nice you day. have the power yeah. to change it, to know to do good and not do it as sin. Yeah. And, and it says you look away. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs, if you see an injustice happening and you act like you don't see it, the Lord knows that you see it and he holds you accountable. Yeah. Uh, it's, so, And then it, another proverb says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So you're leaving what to your kids, the furries? Yeah. Uh, so, so the the whole history of um, of pietism and of uh, thinking of yourself as more spiritual by not getting involved um, that's what that's what let Hitler, Hitler seize power. And um, you know, Martin Luther, uh, 1517, started the Reformation. It was very personal revelation to him that the just shall live by faith. It was so personal that he was willing to stand up to the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor and say, and say, unless you can prove me wrong from Scripture, here I stand, so help me God. It was extremely personal to him. But some German right. princes wanted to break away from Rome. And they said, kingdom of mine, you're all now Lutheran. And the people in the kingdom say, fine, we're Lutheran. What do we believe? Mm-hmm. So for the people in those kingdoms, it was not the same personal revelation Martin Luther had. It was just another state doctrine. So a revival movement starts called pietism that says uh, being a Christian is more than state doctrine. You have to have an experience with Jesus. When you do, your life will change. You won't do worldly things you used to do, like go to bars, brothels, loot theater, and get involved in government. Wait, what was that last thing? Yeah, government's yeah. worldly. So if you're really Christian, you're not going to get get your hands dirty with all that worldly government stuff, right? Matter of fact, there were actually German princes that donated to the pietists so they would teach their people not to get involved in the prince's business. And That's so like this, developed, yeah. this developed in Germany to the two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the church, and the two don't touch. And so that was the 1500s. You fast forward to the 1900s, and it's well ingrained in the German psyche that church doesn't get involved in government. And what also didn't help any was that the government collected everyone's taxes and everyone's tithes, and the government paid the pastors. This way, the pastor didn't have to get their hands dirty taking up offerings, right? The government would withhold, and they still have that today, right? Yeah. I, I knew somebody that worked in Germany and they fill out their version of their W-2. They check which church they go to and the government withholds the tithe and funnels it to the church. Well, the younger generation of people in Germany realized that they can not check the church box and give themselves a 10% raise. And so now you have all these cathedral churches that are empty, right? I mean, it's yeah. only when, and so the church is like, well, we won't, 
baptize you. We won't marry you. We won't bury you unless you're a church member. So we're going to we're going to withhold these things and, and pressure you to become a church member in order to, for you to get uh, have us say a wedding or, or, or bury your loved one. I mean, it's weird things happening. But but that was the, the attitude in Germany yeah. was that the kingdom of the world, kingdom of the church, and the church didn't do things like take up dirty offerings and, and the church, and the, but it all came. That caused the church to withdraw. It allowed Hitler to seize power. Yeah. And we're when, probably when familiar I, with Nuremberg. Wait, wait, wait you said, uh, you were going to say, uh, when I traveled overseas, the thing that was remarkable to me, and, and what's crazy is it's now happened here, is I remember, because this was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, it was devoid of Christianity. Like, you know, just Sunday was another day. You yeah. know, there was just no, you know, it, it just was time passing. Yeah. Um, the the uh, churches, some of these beautiful churches were turned into, you know, bars and restaurants and things like that. And, um, and I remember thinking, wow, this is so different. Fast forward 15 years now. And we're doing that same thing yeah, here are. all over the country. You know, Sunday, sure, you know. it's just another day. Just another day. Yeah. Sorry, Bill. Go ahead. No, no. So, so the the Romans thirteen um, that in America the people are the king. Our founders set up at the Constitutional Convention. Um, you had George Washington say, "The event is in the hand of God." So they acknowledged God. Ben Franklin called for prayer, um, and then they recessed for a couple of days. They went to all the churches in town, and then they came back and finished the uh, writing the Constitution. And then in the uh, the president is sworn in with a chaplain, a Senate chaplain, and both houses of Congress both have House chaplain, Senate chaplain. They've opened every session with prayer. Now we don't think that's that big of a deal. But did you know that the United Nations, when it met in the hotel in San Francisco, there was a motion to have it open with prayer, and it was turned down. Uh, there was an ambassador, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., uh, under Eisenhower. Eisenhower, the one who put under God on our paper currency, uh, came the first piece, the first dollar bill that had "In God We Trust" on it. Now, the the coins Lincoln put "In God We Trust" on the coin, but as far as the dollar bill, it was Eisenhower, and the first minted dollar with "In God We Trust" came off the press October first, nineteen fifty-seven. Wow. I happen to know that because that's my birthday. <laughs> and um, but anyway, uh, Eisenhower also is the one who signed the legislation to add under God to the Pledge of Allegiance and right. so forth. So an ambassador during Eisenhower's term is Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. And he writes letters to all the different delegates to the United Nations saying, I make a motion and we open with prayer. And it was never acted upon because they maybe didn't want to offend some of the countries or whatever. But from that point on till now, the United Nations has no prayer. There's no acknowledging of God. It has no God at all. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. do. They do have in the basement of the United Nations building a big <clears throat> black magnet. I mean, it's a. It looks. It's, it's like designed to be a chapel room. But in the middle is not an altar. There's not. It's a huge black magnet called the lodestone, right? It's a, a natural occurring stone that has magnetism in it, and they put it in there. And um, but the no acknowledgement of God. 
Um, but in America, at the founding of the country, at the Constitutional Convention, they acknowledged God, they had prayer, and they wanted to set up a form of government where they took the power of the king and gave it to the people. Yeah. And so they broke the power of ruling into three branches. They separated federal to state level. They tied, they basically took the Tower of Babel and scattered the power. That's what happened with the Constitution, right? And so they wanted to take the power of one man ruling and separate it into the hands of the people. So one man ruling, you can call him a pharaoh, a Caesar, a sultan, a czar, a maharaja, a Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Attila Dunn. The, the name changes, El Presidente, Comrade Stalin, you know, a Chairman Mao. The, the name might sound nice, but functionally, one person is in charge. And like a black hole, right? They decide, and it's they rule through fear. Yeah. And America's founders decided they didn't like that, and so they took the power of ruling and separated. They basically, the Constitution, in its most basic form, is a document to prevent a president from ruling through mandates and executive orders. Imagine that. Yeah. That's all the Constitution is. It's a it's a, a way to keep one person from ruling. Yeah, it decentralizes power. And, yeah, and that's he, that's but, what what we're fighting right now is all the you know the central. But, but here we have mandates and executive orders. Yeah, running rampant. Yeah, and and you, I wrote the history of all that. So uh, executive orders originally started as Washington telling his staff they had a day off, or writing a memo saying somebody died, right. lower the flags to half staff, or you know Andrew Jackson died, so put some crepe on your. Uh, bicep, you know, of your uniform right. or right. on your sword, you know, the purple, uh, like cloth, um, you know, but there was just standard things. Um, and then Lincoln wanted to give a emancipation proclamation and Congress said, no, you're not a King. Uh, you don't just make a, we're a representative government. And so the, the spirit behind the emancipation proclamation uh, helped ch was very strategic in that it changed the purpose of the war from states' rights to freeing the slaves. That in and of itself caused the European powers that were about to recognize the Confederacy to say hands off. If this is if this war is going to be about slavery, we just had William Wilberforce in England fighting to end slavery. We're not going to be seen as supporting slavery. Hands off. So it was a brilliant move strategic, by yeah. Lincoln, but it had no it had no governmental power. And so right. uh, Steve Spielberg did a very fine movie uh, on the Thirteenth Amendment, and it had. Um, Lincoln going through how to get enough votes, and it had, um, I don't know if it was Tommy Lee Jones or one of those actors that played um, one of the congressmen uh, that was instrumental in, um, you know, doing all the politics to get the 13th Amendment through. But so, so we're talking about mandates and executive orders and, and the efforts to uh, use those. And then you had Woodrow Wilson during World War One, issued a fair amount of them, but the big came during FDR, Great Depression, and he issued like 3,000 executive orders. Wow. Um, the Supreme Court was Wait, was knocking some of them down, and, the, and, the, and so he was thinking about packing the Supreme Court, but then a couple good Supreme Court justices died, uh, sort of like today, maybe one is forced to resign. And um, uh, 
and so when those guys died, FDR said, well, I don't have to pack the court. I'll just put my guys on. And they, they didn't object to his executive orders. But by one executive order, Franklin Roosevelt outlawed the private ownership of gold. People were burying gold coins in coffee cans in their backyards to keep them away from the federal government, from the president's mandates. And um, But then you had um, uh, the Great Society Welfare State under LBJ. You had Lincoln's war on drugs, and these were, you know. Uh, but then you had Bush, wait, right? Wait, wait, wait. And, Lincoln's war on drugs? What are you talking about? You're talking about um, Nixon. Nixon's war on drugs. See, I, I need you to keep me straight. And um, I just want you to know I'm uh, listening. In in modern history, Bill, what what's the number? Um, would you know from Reagan to you know up till present the total number of executive orders? Um, well, I know uh, FDR had around three thousand. Uh, they went down from that immediately. Um, there was uh, one with Reagan after a stock market crash. He pushed one through that said, in case of a financial emergency. Um, there were like 10 banks that were too important to the country to be allowed to fail. And, um, and that got pushed through. Uh, and so what it is, is after that, um, they, those banks could, um, uh, if, if they made irresponsible investments and there was a financial crisis, the government was obligated to bail them out. And we saw some of that, um, at the end of the Bush uh, term and, and, and beginning of the, um, there was these arbitrary decisions as to what banks would survive and what banks wouldn't. Um, and um, but but then you had Nixon's war on drugs, and that concentrated more power into the hands of the government. You had um, oh even President Bush um, with the 9/11, and uh, Ashcroft is having a had a heart attack or something, and he was in the hospital. And they came in and they said, you've got to go along with the uh, NSA, the um, Patriot Act that gives the government the power to do surveillance on every single citizen. And it gets in. And so because of this emergency of the 9-11, the government's response is they're going to track every single citizen. but but it's interesting because a lot of the power grabs by the government come on the heels of some crises. Yeah, and then Never let a the crisis, crisis go to over, waste. Yeah, um, there's a Machiavellian statement. Um, it's called uh, "You create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control." So they they may not all be created. It may just be a coincidence. But the net result is you're going to capitalize on it to concentrate control. And um, uh, one time I was listening to David Barton, and he was making a pretty clear explanation that a conspiracy is nothing more than a minority wanting to control a majority. And they have to do it in secret because the majority doesn't want it. If you're a majority, you don't have to do anything in secret because you're the majority. And so there's always been minorities. Uh, I was even reading about uh, Edward Bernays. I may may have mentioned this before. Uh, He's the pioneer of marketing. And right. he noticed he uh, you know, the magazine ads of women's shoes. And, and he says, this is a way that a minority can control the majority in a democracy through the ability to advertise and, and market uh, that a relatively small number of people uh, control this invisible machine 
that controls the psyche of the country and the people think they're voting when really what they're thinking has been um, sold to them and they've bought it through this uh, slick advertising type campaign. Bill, but, with, uh, with that and, and your observation of history and, and recounting it uh, and traveling the country, uh, are, are you seeing people wake up and starting to understand this? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the effort on local elections, especially local school board elections, that I've been in Missoula, Montana, uh, at a uh, Crosspoint church, and the pastor, Bruce Spear, has some of his people. Uh, one's on the school board, another one's running for the school board. I was in Virginia, and someone named Melvin Adams, former state rep, has a Noah Webster Educational Foundation. And it on his website, how to run for school board. I was down in in uh, Houston and uh, with, with different pastors and they're getting their church members to run for school board. Uh, okay. was with um, Richard Harris and Andrew Womack in Colorado Springs and, and, and different people around the country, they feel it on their heart that the answer is local. Yeah. And to me, I, I get a little spiritual about it. Matter of fact, I just uh, got back from the printers a new book it's called Believe, <laughs> and uh, it sort of takes a, a spiritual look at uh, what's going on in faith and so forth, but uh, we're the bride of Christ, and so you think of every um, romance movie, a Hallmark movie, uh, it comes to a climax in the movie where there has to be a forsaking of all others right. and then choosing the one. And this is sort of like the whole movie builds up to this point and they say, okay, nobody else, just you. And, and if we're the bride of Christ, it only makes sense that God is letting humanity be pushed to this climax point of making a decision. Are we going to forsake the world and choose Jesus or are we going to, you know, choose not? But but it's a decision-making point and, and to be, uh, to show the Lord how much we love him, no matter what's happening in the world. The other thing I bring out in the book is um, uh, God created light. And light is a, is a photon on a perpendicular wave of the electromagnetic spectrum, right? And it travels 186,000 miles per second. And it's just one frequency in the entire electromagnetic spectrum that includes its gamma rays and ultraviolet rays and infrared and everything. And, um, but the long and short of it is um, Einstein's theory of relativity is the closer you can travel the speed of light, for you, time slows down. And if you could travel the speed of light, for you, time would stand still. And if God created light, he's obviously faster than light. So for God, time almost effectively stands still. There is a scripture that says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years. So so, So we're sort of in slow motion compared to God, right? So we get to make our little free will decisions, but we're moving so that he can readjust every atom in the universe if necessary, before it goes to the next frame. Another thing I bring out in the book is quantum computers, right? So uh, we have bits, right? Which your computer is basically a magnetic charge and no magnetic charge, right? And so they write it as machine language as a zero and a one. But based on that, you build your apps and your programs and what software we're using right now. And, um, but now they have quantum computers that use qubits, and it's a combination of two and four, so so eight. And they have to keep these computers down to absolute zero because they're basically f- slowing these atoms down so the atoms don't move. And if it gets a little bit more than zero, these atoms uh, vibrate and lose their coherence. But these quantum computers can do a billion times a billion calculations a second. 
and they use it for prediction with multiple variables. So when you have lots and lots of variables and you're trying to be predictive, they use these quantum. So climate change and the spread of diseases and mapping human behavior. So they take all of our Google searches and all of our tweets and forwarding of emails, they, all this data, they want to get predict human behavior. But the thought is, if man can make something that can do a billion times a billion calculations a second, you think God's that fast? No, yeah, God's faster. He can do an infinity times infinity calculations a second. So God is so fast, right? We're we're living in slow motion compared to God. Yeah. So when we get all panicky about what's happening in the world, we just have to realize that that God's created this when he when he made creation. In a sense, he sort of slowed things down so so that we can make our little free will decisions, and everybody in the world can make their free will decisions, but God controls all the variables, and he can readjust everything if necessary so that his will is gonna take place on planet Earth. The book of Revelation is gonna take place, right? And um, anyway, those are just some of the thoughts I, I bring up in this, this book, how Believe. Do, since we're, we're limited on time, how, how do folks get that book? Well, uh, it's on our website, AmericanMinute.com. AmericanMinute.com. Right, so, so they go to AmericanMinute.com. They can donate to the ministry. They can also buy the book. How much is the book? It's twenty dollars. All right, it's a bargain. That's awesome. It is a bargain. Uh, and then uh, we just we we were talking yesterday, you and me, Bill, and uh, you're coming out here on Father's Day. Oh, fantastic! Yes, uh, I'm you're excited. Gonna be, you're going to be sharing the pulpit at uh, June. What was it nineteenth? Nineteenth. Yeah, June nineteenth. Yes. You're going to be with us. That's going to be thrilling. I, I can't wait. That'll That's be awesome. great. And, well, and uh, it's always and, a thrill to be out there with you. Well, you're. Um, I, I know you're doing a, a couple of events before you come be with us. So you have to decide if you still want the Saturday night service because we'll give you Saturday night and the three Sundays. Sure, uh, yeah, but that's definitely. up to you. All right, it's no, all no, yours. I'm out there as a homeschool convention, and uh, and so I I'm, I always like going to those homeschool conventions because there's there's lots and lots of people that say I've never homeschooled before, but I started to see what my kids are being taught in school, and I, and I had to pull them out and and you know so it's it's an exciting. Amen. Uh, thing that's yeah. have, taking place is just mushroom, mushrooming, but uh, but yeah, I, I'd be happy to do Saturday night too. And I just love everybody at God speak, and my wife and I consider you guys family, and uh, it's just always a, a joy to be out there with you. Well, we're looking awesome. forward to it, Bill. And I'm so blessed. Uh, I mean, you, <laughs> you you covered like I don't know. I, I always take two thousand years take of history. Notes. Seriously, I, I, I always take notes. It was a. It was in, yeah. and and you're. I love the way your mind thinks. It's just connected. And it's a running story, um, and I learned from you in that regard because when I give messages, I I try to follow that pattern that one thing connects to the to the other, and it helps me. So I I I've, I figured you out a little bit. I do want to throw one Bible story. Uh, so the Apostle Paul is on trial uh, before I think Festus, and the. Uh, Pharisee attorney comes in and he says, we find this Paul and a, a pestilent fellow and he's been stirring up and he's stirred up riots. And, and the Paul says, no, that's not true. Uh, you can ask anybody. I was only in Jerusalem for like a week and I went to the temple. I wasn't disturbing anybody. And, but what were they doing? They were accusing him of creating the riot when they created the riot. Right. So the idea of the guilty people doing the bad stuff, but blaming it on the innocent person. Uh, that is is one of the things that uh, human behavior is. Little kids do that. Yeah. I didn't start the fight, you did. And, Nothing and so new. I just, with what we're seeing in the news, 
I just encourage people that we need to just dig a little deeper. That's a good word. Yeah. That's a great one. We'll end on that. You have you have once again blessed us. It's it's been a fulfilling Federer Friday. And uh I I'm going to I'm going to pray for you and I'm I'm grateful for you. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Bill and thank you for the history lesson and the clarity of it and the realization that Lord, uh these are tricks that have been used throughout history. We just need to be prepared and mindful. And we have to dig, we have to study to show ourselves approved, a work we need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that we have to seek it out, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's noble, meditate on these things, study these things. And so, Lord, thank you for the hard work Bill does, and I pray that all those who have tuned into this and and have observed this and listened to this, that they too would be good students, that they would go and dig deeper and make sure that this is in fact true or it is false. And we wouldn't take it on face value as we have witnessed the manipulation of facts uh, to try to put forward an agenda. And so God, thank you for the clarity, especially through history. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Bill. Well, bless you, Pastor Rob and Bryce. Bless all those that are taking the time to view this. All right. And and, uh, we'll catch up with you next Friday and look forward to the 19th of June. So uh, God bless you, brother. All right. See you, man. Thank you. Seriously, I I love listening to that guy. Yeah, he always blows my mind. Seriously, I, I, as, as he's talking, I'm just it's like, man, how does he retain all that? Now I I know that at times he'll have stuff on the screen, but literally most of the time it is completely extemporaneous. Yeah, no, well I've I've witnessed him do it in person. Yeah, that's yeah. a lie. <laughs> I've, I've driven in a car with him yeah. where he had no notes and he's yeah. just going. No, uh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a so, amazing mind. So June 19th, uh, Bill Fetter is going to be with us. He's going to do all three services and the Saturday night service. You're not going to want to miss that. And uh, I tell you, these Fridays are becoming very, very helpful. It puts everything into perspective because the it's already been done. Just look to the past, and you can see a roadmap out of this malaise. And uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, folks have faced it. They figured out a way through it. And that's why we're so grateful for Fredder Fridays. Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, okay, until next week, we'll be back with you on Monday. Good night, everybody. God bless you. Good night.